Thank you for joining us today. We hope God speaks to you. We hope dreams come alive and faith is ignited so you can impact the world and those around you for God's kingdom. Enjoy the message. Hey, everybody, and welcome to City Place Church yes. Online. We're so excited that you're here this morning. That's right. My name is Damon, and along with my wife, Taisha, we are the lead pastors of City Place Church, and we welcome you to church online this Sunday. This Sunday, but we're here. You're here. Is there anybody that was watching last week that is ready to testify? So on behalf of everyone here at City Place Church, we welcome you. And listen, if you are here watching in the Central Florida area, we're ready to see you again. We are meeting in person, and we'll be looking for you. We'll be saving a seat for you in church this morning That's and right. any other morning. Go ahead and pack up your family and make your way to church, but we love right. what God is doing right now at City Place. That's right. So to make your experience a little bit more homey for you, here's what we want. I said homey. Did you see that? You said homey. <laughs> homey. What's up, homey? No, but to make your experience more homely, what we want you to do is we want you to download today's message notes at cityplacechurch.com backslash note. You can also let us know that this if this is your first time or maybe you have something to pray about that we can come in agreement with you. You can fill out a virtual connect card at cityplacechurch.com backslash card as well. That's right. This is your home and we are ready to worship sure. God this morning. So if you're ready, put on your spiritual seatbelt, buckle up because we're getting ready to dive into the word of God. Welcome to City Place Church Online. All right, City Place, are you ready to get in God's Word this morning? I said, are you ready to get in God's Word this morning? I'm so excited about the opportunity to come to you and talk on this subject. It's something that has been stirring in my heart for a couple of weeks now. I've had many conversations with, with Damon. I've had a number of conversations just around, and God has been moving in me in this particular topic that I believe is in season for you this morning. And so I'm going to talk on this subject, and you have to repeat it after me. You have to play along, okay? And and the two words that we're going to say this morning give us the backdrop over how God is going to speak to us this morning. And so those two words are hello, can you say hello? Ambition. Hello, ambition. At some point around six years old, I've been sandwiched in between two very large individuals as I was maneuvering my way through a line. I wasn't standing still in the line. I was snaking my way and creeping my way sort of unsuspectingly through this line following my grandmother. Now I tell a lot of stories about my grandmother, but this particular morning I knew to stay very close to where she was. She was brunette and wearing a bright yellow t-shirt and my job was to basically be her shadow. And so I sandwiched my way and, and I was maneuvering my way through this line because this particular morning we were up before the sun was truly fully out. It was my job in the darkness to stay next to her because the first 100 people through the door of Toys R Us would receive a $5 gift card. That's right, this morning was Black Friday. And from a very early age, my grandmother taught me what it was like to, to, to not necessarily follow the order of things or follow the crowd or maybe even follow the rules, but to make my way until I was ambitious and cute enough to be at the front of the line. That same philosophy of sort of sneaking through and getting through and, and getting $5 gift cards was the same philosophy that I used all throughout my way through high school as I was applying to colleges and, and making my way through various interviews and scholarship programs. It was the same tenacity that I needed later in life. 
You see, although my, my grandmother was just helping me to acquire a $5 gift card to Toys R Us, the principle of making my way ambitiously through life stuck through my brain. I very much received this same idea and understanding even now into my adulthood. You know, my suspicion is this morning that I'm not alone in this sort of achieving personality. In fact, Gallup, the, the very well-known statistical agency, tells us that achiever, or this idea of, of a person who is, who is tenacious, who is ambitious, who is uh, uh, innovative, is one of the top categories of people in taking a very large uh, strengths assessment. Achievers are described as individuals who have a constant need for attainment and accomplishment. There is an internal fire that burns inside of this person that pushes them to do more and to be more. We see this uh, corroborated in our culture as we very much know about hustle culture. We hear things that say if you work hard enough, if you, if you hustle and you grind, you can get your, your goals accomplished. You can do all of the things. You can advance. Or sometimes we hear people say, if you, if you say the right affirmations or if you have self-esteem or if you can get rid of negative thoughts and imposter syndrome, you can show up and be who you're supposed to be. Culture tells us that, that these things are required for us to accelerate. And I began thinking about all of these things, the philosophy of how my grandmother Ethel began to teach in me self-esteem, to throw my shoulders back, to, to work my way to the front of the line. I, I began to think about how culture teaches us that you can do all things, that you can be anything that you desire to be. And for a brief moment, I sat in this thought... And I asked myself this question. For all of the ways that I have been served well through the idea of achievement, for all of the ways that it has, has been a benefit to my life, for all of the areas to which I have been the recipient of great things and great thoughts and great memories, was achievement actually found in God's word? Was this idea of ambition and being innovative and ambitious and at the front of the line and, and doing the things, is this supported by the word of God? And it led me to this second question, and that is, was it culture or was it Christ that had crept in to even my very self-esteem? You see, so often you and I depend on our life experiences over the things that are just natural, they're just normal, it's just who we are that dictate our spiritual walk, our very Christianity. But I'm here to tell you this morning how God has been speaking to me that our systems, that our personal rhythms and systems are not always God's systems. And what happens when the things that we expect to see because of culture are not necessarily what we experience? Perhaps like so many, you have asked yourself this question or, or you filled in the blank of this statement, I thought I would be further along by now. Or maybe you have filled in the blank differently, I thought I would be in a relationship by now. I thought I would be more advanced in my career by now. I thought I would be a parent by now. I thought I would be working by now. 
It's so often that you and I in the natural tendency that we have to achieve and to do great things and to be ambitious and to be innovative that we don't fully understand or comprehend the seasons that God brings us through in order to prepare us for the seasons that he actually has. You know, undoubtedly, Jesus was the most remarkable human that ever walked the face of the earth. And his word gives us insight over how he dealt with ambition and the seasons to which you and I are sometimes hesitant to go through. You see, when we say these thoughts, when we say these sentences, like, I thought I would be by now. I thought this would be fixed by now. I thought 10 years into my marriage, we still wouldn't be dealing with the same issues by now. I thought I would be rocking the baby by now. When we fill in the sentences in this way, we are telling God that there is a timeline to which my expectation lies. And God in return says, I am in no race and I am in no rush to do my best work. You see, the definition of of a shadow, when we feel like we're in a shadow moment, the definition of a shadow is light that is blocked by an object. It's something that stands in front of a light source that, that gives off the cast of a shadow. And as I began to think about this, I think of how often we sit in, in opportunities and times where we feel like we're in shadow moments. Or we feel like nobody sees us or understands us or we're not advancing or we're not doing or I should have been more by now. See, these shadow moments, these fringe moments, the opportunities for us to live normal lives, seemingly uh, obscure lives, unknown lives, make us, uh, give us the time for us to develop things like character and patience and all of the things that feel like dirty words to ambitious people. There's no one who knows about shadow years more than Jesus himself because as we understand in scripture, we begin to look in, in the book of Matthew and we see that beginning in chapter one, it says that Jesus is born, that God speaks him into existence through the Virgin Mary. We understand and we read and we see Jesus as the little baby. And then, and then as you keep reading the first couple chapters of the gospels, we see Jesus as a teenager, as a preteen, really 12 years old in the temple. But then something magnificent happens as we begin to uncover even Jesus's shadow years. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter three that John the Baptist is standing in the desert and he is proclaiming that there will be one that comes after me whose sandals I am not even fit to untie. But in this moment, there has been 18 years since we have last seen Jesus in the temple as a 12 year old boy up until this moment, 18 years. Theologians call these years sometimes lost years or dark years or shadow years. They are years that are completely unknown to us over how Jesus was behaving and what he was doing and how he was studying and and how he filled his days and moments. For 18 years, Jesus had shadow years. 
And this very idea of shadow years, even from our Savior, gives us glimpses that even you and I, ambitious as we may be, called as we may be, marked as we may be, will experience moments of shadow years. And if we do not understand what to do in these moments or how to behave in these moments, then we will misunderstand these years as God's cruelty to us as he is not answering us quick enough. But on the other hand, if we understand these, uh, the opportunity for us to uh, better ourselves and become who God has for us to be, then these moments will be used for, for the addition. They will be additions and, and lessons to us for future moments. You see, it may be countercultural for us to wait. In this season where we have microwave everything and speedy service and, and, and quick deliveries and we have instant gratifications and if it doesn't work, P.S., don't let the reviews rule you out because we will cancel you in a moment. In this culture, it may be countercultural to wait, but it is nonetheless required. You see, we have glorified as a society what's convenient over what's actually required. In this one moment in scripture where Jesus shows us all of the years, there is nothing that we know of shadow years, but in this one moment, we see Jesus burst on the scene. And from this one moment today, we will park ourselves and hear God's instruction. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Up until this point, we know nothing of Jesus' formative years. And again, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is in the desert. And beginning in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son who I love. And with him, I am well pleased. We see Jesus in this moment coming at the new stage of his adulthood. It has been 18 long years. And the first thing that we see is his alignment into his purpose. And so often this gives us hope because in the shadow years, sometimes we're, we, we teach ourselves these sort of thoughts. We are overwhelmed with these thoughts that go something like, God will you ever. God, will you ever bring me to the place? God, will you ever answer my prayer? God, will you ever show up for me? I wonder what it was like for Jesus for 18 years as not only a man, but the son of God to be physically bound in skin on earth for 18 years, not wondering what day, what day would be the day, what day will the Father have me to begin my work? I'm wasting time. 
I'm wasting time watering animals and I'm wasting time building furniture and I'm wasting time doing normal things. I'm wasting time attending to my parents and answering my brothers. I'm wasting time. I have a business to attain to. Part of me feels like in his, in his naturalness, Jesus may have been, God, when is it my time? When is it my time? I have work to do. But in this moment, it shows us that as he steps into the scene, that it is in fact his time. But what we'll see in just a moment, that it was his time, but it wasn't. Let's keep reading in Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1, going through 11. And then Jesus immediately after his baptism, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. What's so interesting about this thought is there is no conversation. It's not up for debate that as Jesus is being baptized, that he is in fact the son of God. It says that he goes down into the water and that the heavens, some translations say tore open, that heaven opened up and God himself for one of the first times that we read about declares to the earth and everything listening that this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You would have thought in such a moment that there would be a high, that it would be so significant that Jesus would say, well, it's time for me to get started. It's time for me to begin my work. And you know, I don't know if you can relate to times where it feels like you're praying for something or you're, you're seeking something, you're, you have a prayer request and it feels like there's movement feels like God's beginning to turn the ship. It was time, but it wasn't time. You see, before it was actually Jesus's time, there was still one bit of business that needed to take place. And what happens to you and I when God calls you to something, but what you see right now is not what you expected it to be. You know for sure that God called you, that he told you, that he, he said that this is the year that I'm going to do it, that this is the time that I'm going to fulfill the promise. This is the time where my word will be made true to you, but what I see is not reflective of the promise that I have in God. 
This is where Jesus found himself because immediately after his baptism, the Bible gives no other indication that anything happened, not one moment between A and B. Right after he was baptized, it said he was led by the Spirit, by the Spirit into the wilderness. So then we leave our our, our heads are scratching. Why would God in all of his goodness, why would the spirit of God lead Jesus into a barren place? Why would he take him into the wilderness? You know what this is like when it feels like you're praying for something and it actually gets worse before it gets better. You know what it's like to, to pray a prayer and to see a bigger gap than what you had to start with. How is it that I'm going to actually devote my life to Christ only for things to fall apart worse than they were when I didn't even know him? This is the predicament that we have because God teaches us through this scripture that dark places, wilderness places are not necessarily always bad. They give us the opportunity, in fact, to cultivate our character. They give us opportunities to do so in private so that we're ready for his purpose in season. You see, the problem with you and I as we welcome ambition, hello ambition, into our lives is that we don't know and understand what to do with shadow seasons. We have no idea. We scratch our heads when it's time where it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and ambitious people don't know what to do with such things. Because Instagram tells us that it's nothing but a highlight reel. That when it's time for me to post my pictures and my perfect vacation, that I have to show everybody, not that I just went off on all my kids, but that it's time to smile pretty for the camera. We show each other the highlight reel of life so often that we often don't know what to do when normal shadow seasons come into our lives. We are obsessed with seeing things that work, that seeing progress, seeing advancements, baby steps forward. I'll take anything, but we don't know what to do when it feels like we're stagnant or by God moving backwards. What happens in the moment of wilderness? You see, we are obsessed with how to do things and how to do them right. But it's an emphasis that we must make this morning on what happens when things are actually not going right. How do we use the dark places in our lives to hear God's instruction and not run from the wilderness? You see, the, the wilderness, as we will see in just a moment, gave Jesus four tests of ambition that you and I can lean into this morning and learn from. The first one is that Jesus was prepared, and this is found in your notes, to do the pre-work. You see, when we see in Scripture that he was led by the Spirit, the first thing that it says is that he fasted first for 40 days and 40 nights because it left him hungry. Jesus was accustomed to, to doing these kinds of rituals and routines. And, and I don't know about you, and I don't know if you've ever fasted before, but 40 days and 40 nights is a big deal and a long time to go in the wilderness. 
Now, fasting in 2020 often involves smoothie runs and protein shakes and, and, and extra additives and minerals. But back in the day of Jesus, there were no such things or smoothie shops. There was no planet smoothie to help him stay full. He was just hangry. Jesus fasted because he knew that in this season, if he were going to take this moment of wilderness, listen, there was a reason for the wilderness season. We don't find Jesus kicking and screaming. We don't find Jesus saying, God, why did you call me and then call me into the wilderness? We don't see him wrestling and mad with God for how long he's taking to answer the prayer, hello? We see Jesus being led by the Spirit, and the first thing that he does is says, God, these next 40 days, if I'm going to be here in the wilderness, I've got to have you. I've got to be with you. He understood how to do the work in the shadow seasons. He understood that it wasn't time for 40 days and 40 nights to get a good nap. He took the opportunity and he said, look, if I'm going to spend 18 years of my life in shadow, if I'm going to take the next 18 years and there is a reason that I'm here in the wilderness, then I will dedicate 40 more days to hear from my father. You see, there are some moments, and this is what Jesus understood with his pre-work, that even as ambitious people, that we can't get wrong. And what were 40 more days if Jesus hit the bullseye of his target? You see, he didn't have the ability. It was too precious. His assignment was too great, too significant for him to hit the, the target somewhere on the board. He needed to hit the devil square in his face. And that kind of targeting, that kind of refinement takes power. It takes work. And so Jesus not only showed us over the 40 days, but for the 18 years, we can only assume this was not his first rodeo. I put it like this. What we have here is a result of his running back immediately to his father. But honestly, in this moment, what Jesus would do was still unknown. His effectiveness, the way that he would call disciples, the way that he would reach the world, the way that he would hang on a cross was largely unknown. He didn't know if his life would be effective yet. He didn't know how his message would land. He didn't know if people would receive him or reject him. And so therefore he needed God, although he was called, although the heavens tore open, he still needed God. And so the first test is the test of pre-work. The second test that we see of Jesus comes right after his fast is completed. And it says, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came immediately and said to him, if you're the son of God, notice if he said, if you're the son of God, what did Jesus already know from the baptism? You are my son with whom I'm well pleased. If you are the son of God... You see, the devil took no time. He had wasted no moment. He said, did God really say that to you? I don't know about you, but there are times where I know and I sense that God is calling me. And I know that you've been in this place. And God has called you to some things. And then it's moments after that the enemy comes and challenges that. Is that what God said to you? Did he make you that promise? 
if you be the son of God, then why don't you tell these stones to become bread? Why did he waste his energy talking about some stones and a little bit of meal for his stomach? Because Jesus was hungry. And the second test of ambition that we see right here in this scripture is that you and I must overcome in order to be effective, in order to make our ambition not the God, but Jesus the God. We must deal with our natural desires. Jesus was hungry, and so he shows us, I have a moment right now that I could switch this and I could, I could give it up like Esau. I could take my birthright and exchange it for a bowl of beans. I am hungry right now. I haven't eaten. I barely drank. This stuff isn't filtered. I need a Brita. Come on, somebody. I need something in my stomach. How can I be God if I'm dead? Jesus didn't take matters into his own hands. He didn't say that I'm going to exchange my destiny only for what I want today. He showed us that he can have the ability to put some things aside because the promise of God, the mark of God, the call of God was too great to exchange it for a momentary desire. And you and I must deal with this ability to put aside our natural desires in order to pass this test of ambition. The next test of ambition comes and is found in verse 5. It says, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, here it is again, then throw yourself down. Now, why would the enemy take Jesus to the top of the temple? What did this represent for us? What does this teach us? You see, the enemy was trying to say, why don't you create a show? Up until this point, Jesus had done no miracles. There had been no fanfare aside from his birth where the three wise men brought him gifts, where there was a star in the night that marked his birth. There was no fanfare. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't called a disciple. He hadn't walked on water, or at least not that we know of. And the enemy was saying, look, in this moment, you have, you have a, a split second. All the people, all of the Jews would have been surrounding the temple area. Everybody would be here. If you want to make your job easy, if you want to be God and let them all know who your daddy is, you can do it right here. But Jesus rejects that. He said, I didn't come for fanfare. I didn't come for a shortcut. I didn't come so that people would come and follow me because I can walk on air. I didn't come so that they would see my father in heaven scoop me up. I am not here to force my dad to come save me over my foolish behavior. It's not my time. Jesus again and again demonstrates a restraint saying it's not for my glory. It's not supposed to be this way. I'm not here for a show. I'm here for something that can be sustained. You know, as a pastor, I think it's so interesting because so often when people are coming back into a relationship with God or for the very first time, they come with such an eager ambition. We come back to God and we say, all right, I've decided I'm all in. I'm here to digest everything you have. 
I'm ready. And we wake up the next day expecting to be full of scriptures in our minds and unbothered by the traffic outside. We expect that we won't deal with temptation, that we won't be quick to cut somebody off, that we won't lose our temper because now Jesus is in our life. And this scripture tells us that it will take our effort, our growth spiritually, that there will be no shortcuts or substitutions, that if we are to grow in God, it will be done on a foundation that is strong and sure, that there's no way to circumvent, to make things easy, to make things fast, to hurry up and fill our head, to let the pastor do all the work on Sunday morning. There's a process that involves our growth, but no amount of ambition can accelerate that process. Spiritual growth. The last area that the, the enemy took him to, it says in verse 8, that again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. This idea of the heights where Jesus could look, he could look and see every kingdom, he could look and see every bit of power, all source of influence, and it directly speaks to us today. That if you're going to take your ambition and you're going to wrap it up, you're going to have to make some kind of peace with your influence. You see, Jesus didn't take the devil up on this offer, and rightfully so, because all influence was under his dad's authority anyway. But you know what he decided to do in this moment was important because just like the spiritual depth and the spiritual growth, he said, I don't need this authority. I don't need influence for influence's sake. Because after all, it's not about me. It's about how I lead people back to my father. So my question for you this morning is where do you send your glory? A very familiar verse uh, found in Isaiah 61, it's Jesus it's the foreshadowing of Jesus, and it, it, it talks about how, how he will be the one that binds up uh, the brokenhearted. But part of this verse, down in the very bottom, verse 3, it says, And they will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. My question for you this morning is, is it clear where the ambition of your life where the glory of your life, where the fruit of your labor, is it clear where the influence is going? Is it clear that the influence belongs to the Lord? Is it clear, is it evident that your advancement and promotion is because God breathed on you and, and, and sets you apart? Is it obvious to people? Is it obvious to you? Is it obvious to those around you that it is God's hand? Or is that just something that you're keeping tucked in your heart? You see, Isaiah tells us, all of those years before, that my remnant, my people, the people that are called by my name, it will be evident. It's for the Lord's splendor that they flourish. It's for the Lord's splendor that they will be a planting 
for my righteousness. Think about all the ways that Jesus got it right in this scripture. Think about all the ways that he said not today. That is a false counterfeit. I just heard the heavens. I just heard the word of the Lord. I don't need what you have to offer. And it seems to me that it can be so easy for somebody like Jesus to say, Satan, get behind me. But I think about how hard it is for us. Why is it difficult for us in all of our enthusiasm and ambition and innovation and, and go-getter nature to put some stuff aside? You see, this I know to be true. We can trump what God actually wants to do. We can actually overturn and cancel out what God has for us. When he opens up the heavens and says, you, this is my purpose for you. This is what I'm calling you to do. This is who I've called you to be. We can cancel it all by taking matters into our own hands, by doing something too soon and not taking our time in the wilderness. And so this morning, I want you to make peace with the process of God. Peace in the areas where our ambition wants to fight us through. There are times and seasons that even I, as I look back, I can say, it wasn't God, it was my ambition, my raw grit, my hustle and grind that got me through. So then it begs the question for us today, and we'll conclude with this. How do we know if our ambition, which serves us well, the ambition that feels so natural and so innate and so culturally relevant, how do we know if our ambition or frankly, the convenience of God doing what we want when we want it is getting in our way. There are three areas, three areas based on this scripture where we will know these are danger signals, that we will know if our ambition is getting in our way. Danger signal number one, exhaustion. If you find yourself physically, emotionally, or spiritually fatigued, you know you're in trouble. You know you're working in your own strength. Exodus 23, 12 says this, six days do your work, but on the seventh day, do not work so that, I like to circle those two words when I see them in scripture, so that your ox, your donkey may rest and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. You see, when God gives us a rhythm, when he tells us on the seventh day you rest because I'm not interested in your effort. I don't need you to work yourself into the bone. I don't need you to try so hard for the advancement that you so desperately seek. You're not giving me any room for any glory. You're not giving me any space to say it's only God that could have done this. 
You're working so hard and doing all the things and going to every audition and trying to be seen and trying to be known and posting 10,000 times a day that I have no space to get any glory. If you find yourself having a hard time making peace with days off and giving yourself time and permission to be replenished, you know that you might be in danger of this area. Zechariah 4, 6 says this, and then he said to me, and this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's Old Testament truth that still rings true today, that God does not need your strategy and he does not need your plan to do his work. The second danger signal that we can tell in our lives, if these things are present, then it should be all going off like alarm bells. Warning, warning, warning. Your ambition is getting the best of you. Number one was uh, exhaustion. And number two is fruit shortage. This is when there's little to no results in the fruit of your labor. This is the fruit of the spirit. If it's absent, if it's missing, I know you don't want to hear this this morning, but if this is the truth, this is the word of God, that if these things are missing, we know that you are in danger. There is something off. And what is the fruit of the spirit? I'm glad you asked. Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, so often we look at these words and they're like, oh, these are ideally ideal things. These are not actually attainable. And I'm telling you that when you do some investigation, when you look at the fruit in your life, there should be results. When you look at what God is doing, when you look at how he's doing it, there should be evidence of his goodness, of his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Come on. If you look at a bush and there's no fruit on it, it's just taking up space. In fact, Jesus gives us this example, Matthew 21. I, I think this scripture is so interesting. It says that Jesus was walking around in the morning. and He walked up to a fig tree. Matthew 21 verse 18 says this. Uh, he was returning to the city and he was hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves and he said to it no longer shall there be any fruit from you and at once the fig tree withered God walked up to a fig tree where there was supposed to be some fruit and there was nothing to eat and he said no more you taking up space you look cute you've got all the right things your outfit looks good you look good. Your hair looks cute, but there's no depth to you. Say it like this. Things that are called by God in scripture are often used the term covenant, covenant, my covenant people, my covenant purpose, my covenant plan. This is where God makes a binding agreement uh, for things. Covenant seeds yield fruit. Meaning, if it's God's people, if it's God-anointed plan, if it's God's purpose, he doesn't just say stuff to say, say stuff. 
He says it with an intention and a plan. There has never been a time in scripture that there was something breathed from the mouth of God that was just because. Covenant seeds, covenant things that come from God yield fruit. Meaning, if you look in your life and there's no fruit, there's a real strong sign that you're in danger. Covenant seeds yield fruit. We say this as part of our, 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 our next steps uh, class here at City Place. And by the way, you can jump in that uh, program uh, soon because we want to get you connected to the house of God. But we say it like this. If you have a spiritual gift, it should work. There should be some evidence of the spiritual gift that you have in your life. Why? Because Psalms 1-3 says, we are like trees planted by streams of water which yield fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatsoever they do prospers. Over and over and over again in scripture, we see danger signs, danger, danger. If there's no fruit, if your stuff is just withering and falling apart, if you have nothing but leaves, you're in trouble. See, there's no amount of ambition in all of the world that can cover no fruit. The third danger sign, and, and we'll wrap up with this. Uh, this one I am uh, particularly convicted by because it, it deals so much with my life because I try to use the word efficiency. You see, I say that my grandmother who, who helped me snag between the lines going into Toys R Us, she taught me how to be efficient. She taught me how to not wait in the back of the line, but to go, go quick. Y'all weren't moving fast enough. This is inefficient. And so therefore, I am going to, number three, rush. Anytime that there's a presence of unhealthy, unbiblical, or imbalanced urgency to accomplish something, you should stop and take notice that something is off. Never was there a time in scripture where we Jesus, we, we see Jesus say, come on, I got somewhere to go. There's never, there's never a time. It's never documented. In fact, Jesus would be on the way to one place and somebody would interrupt him and he would always stop. It would, it would change the trajectory of what he was doing. Jesus was not rushed he didn't understand the rhythm of rush. When the, when the disciples tried to get people to do their thing and hush and quiet down and, and tell all those kids to go away, he would rebuke them every time. Matthew 11 supports this. It says in verse 28, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest and take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. You see, the same raw ambition that allows us to climb corporate ladders and, and, and advance and sometimes do it in ways that we're proud of and sometimes in ways that we're not proud of, these are the same things that creep into our spiritual lives. We feel like we can rush our way. And as a result, when God doesn't do what we want him to do and when he's taking his time and, and, and handling the needs of the multitudes, we're going, Jesus, Jesus. I have a time clock and you're not meeting it. I'm building a certain disappointment because I'm so used to hustle, I'm so used to grind, I'm so used to a quick prayer, a pep talk, so I can go into the meeting that I don't know what it's like to do the work. 
You see, so often we have been taught not to pray the prayer of patience, and I am certainly guilty. Because we've been taught to pray, not to pray the prayer of patience like it's a dirty thing, like patience is like, I don't want to be tested in this area. We don't. We think about everything. We think about the Walmart checkout line and traffic and our kids that require our patience, but we don't think about our dreams. We don't think about the biggest things that stir our prayer life. Let me say it like this. Prepare yourself that your biggest prayers and your greatest dreams require patience too. In doing so, we adopt a new rhythm where we can maybe say, God, I'm dealing with being an ambitious person, but I understand in your kingdom that that's the greatest sacrifice that I can lay back at your feet. That I can take all of my ambition and when you take me into wilderness or shadow seasons, I will not shake my head in disgust that you are taking your time. I will not question your goodness or your mercy towards me. I will not act like you are not still God and a good God. I will understand that wilderness seasons are growth seasons. An article in Scientific American says it like this. The closer an object is to a light source, the larger the shadow it casts. And this is because an object closer to the source will block a larger area of light, increasing its shadow size. Maybe, just maybe, that as we get closer and closer to God, the light source, and as he blocks out some stuff in our lives, that are no longer necessary for the journey. It casts more of a shadow than we would love. But he's saying, that means you're getting closer to me. I wonder if we could make peace this morning. For those of you that are watching and you would say, Pastor Ty, I'm dealing with giving my ambition in a healthy way back to the Lord to honor God, even in the way that I want to do great things. Maybe you would say this morning, I am ready and prepared to not put my purpose, even my very reason for existing, ahead of my pursuit of Christ. Some of you would be watching this morning and you would say, Taisha, what you've said is good. And I understand that there will be wilderness seasons. But if I'm honest, I'll tell you that I have not yet made peace with this Jesus that you're talking about. And this morning and every Sunday at City Place, it is our heart 
It is our heart's desire that we give you an opportunity to make that step closer to your God. I want to pray for two kinds of people this morning. Maybe you would say, Ty, I'm ready. I hear what you're talking about, about Jesus. But it's time for me to get in right relationship with him so that I can put my ambition in the right spot. The second group of people that I want to pray for this morning are those that would say that the pursuit of God, even the ambition that I have, has trumped my pursuit for Jesus. Meaning that I've put my purpose and the fueling and the desire and the hustle and the not wanting to do it and wait ahead of my pursuit of God. I want to pray for both of you this morning. If you're in the first group of people that would say, I'm ready to come into a relationship with God and for all of you watching as one big corporate prayer, I'm going to ask you boldly to pray this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that you rose for me, and I declare that I'm your child. Now show me how to live for your glory, for your purpose as your covenant child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I wanna pray for those of you that would say that ambition and the desire and the pursuit to do and be has overshadowed you. Maybe you would find yourself in both the first and the second categories, and today this prayer is for you. Will you pray with me? Bow your heads, please, right where you are. God, I just thank you right now for everyone watching this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you are dealing with us over our own ambition. God, let not something that is so genuine and so pure be distorted to cause us to be in a hurry. God, teach us what it's like to honor you in the wilderness seasons. Lord, that we would pass the tests of ambition for your glory and your good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, listen, City Place, it's always an honor. I absolutely love being with you every single week, every single time we get the opportunity to join together, to be together. I'm proud of you this morning as you've been leaning in and joining in the chat and saying amen and letting God do what is necessary in us. I am excited to be on this journey with you. It's our time of giving here at City Place Church. So go ahead and prepare yourself to be generous as we give back to God this morning what belongs to him. So many of you know that we are in the season. This is the year that God does it. And I'm gonna tell you, church, We've been believing for some really big things. If you're here in the Central Florida area, or even if you're not, we are excited. We are believing God for a facility.
facility and a home that we can call our own. We are excited and believing God that we will be able to reach even more people virtually in platforms just like this. So we're asking you to be generous this morning and faithful with your giving. Our tithe and our offering is something that we do and it's one of my favorite parts of service because it's such an act of putting down and making sacrificial uh, seeds that we know that God is faithful to honor. Go ahead and prepare yourself now at cityplacechurch.com backslash give. That'll take you right to our give page or you can do that via text, whatever is most convenient to you. Well, church, I'm excited for one more week to be with you. Thank you so much for joining in and I can't wait to see you again next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Stay connected by subscribing to the City Place Church podcast, following us on Instagram, checking us out on Facebook, or by visiting our website, www.cityplacechurch.com.